0: Are you overworked, overstressed, and overwhelmed? You want life to be different, but you don't even know how to get there. Man, oh man, I lived there myself. And in my experience with working with thousands of people from all walks of life, there is one simple thing that holds so many of us back, a lack of time management. We may know what we want, but we often don't know how to get there and don't feel like we can add one more thing into our already busy day. And that's exactly why I created the Dream Life Action Planner. It's a 90-day inspired game plan that will give you total clarity on your greatest priorities and skyrocket your productivity on the tasks that matter most. And now, for a limited time, you can get your own copy for free. And when you go to denisewalsh.com slash action, denisewalsh, dot com slash action, A-C-T-I-O-N. Put your information in and we will send this action planner directly to your inbox so you can set your goals, reprioritize your calendar, and design your dream life today. Hey, 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 big welcome to the Dreamcast. Our next guest is a wife, mother and dynamic business coach. She has an infectious enthusiasm for helping like-minded creative women build their social media followers and turn their talents and hobbies into actual online businesses. Yes, she has built an incredible social media community with an online following of half a million and has a gift really for creating relationships and showing up for each one of them. She's so excited about what she does. And she coaches over 2000 women monthly on how to find their tribe and grow their businesses online. I am so excited to dive in today because so many of us have a hobby or a passion. And we wonder, can I actually make money from this? So today we're going to hear all about the nitty gritty on exactly how to do so. So big Dreamcast, Welcome to Jennifer Allwood.
1: Hi there. How are you? Yay, I'm so, so glad and I'm I excited to pick your weight today. Yes, this is going to be so fun. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.
0: So you are a business coach, but I'm sure it didn't start off like that. Tell me a little bit about what got you into business coaching to begin with.
1: Absolutely. Yes, I had no intention of ever being a business coach. I actually started a decorative painting company in Kansas City back in the year 2000, which now just seems like, you know, centuries ago. But I loved houses, and I loved making homes beautiful. And I loved the idea that you could take an old piece of furniture and give it new life with a coat of paint. And that was, you know, my passion and my heart and soul for a good 15-16 years. And um, that business did really well. We got to do several episodes of Extreme Home makeover with Ty Pennington, I got to go to Belize with a client to look at a painting project there. And so it was a really fun time. It allowed me to stay home and have our children. And I basically just managed the painting business from home. And I had other women that would go out and actually paint the houses for me. So it served our family very, very well. And then once all of our kids got to where they were in school, I felt like God kind of gave me the go ahead then to really start focusing on my business and growing it to where I thought that we could go. But what happened is, is really interesting. Denise, I think you'll be able maybe to kind of relate to this. I got to this point where I was like, gosh, I'm working so hard. And I felt like there just wasn't enough money in the bank account compared to like the amount of hours I was putting in. And in thinking about, well, how can we ever make more money at this painting business? The only thing I could come up with was, well, I could either you know, double down on the number of women working for me, which means you know, I'm going from 8 painters to 16 and double the amount of houses and double everything. Or I could try maybe going in the online space. And I didn't really know what that looked like exactly. And, but I knew that I kind of enjoyed Facebook. Actually, I really enjoyed Facebook. And I knew I played a lot on Pinterest. And so about 5 years ago, I thought, well, let me really start focusing on building a business in the online space using social media. And that just kind of catapulted things to the place where they are today. And so, yeah, that's actually where it started. So when you say painting, do you mean like painting the walls, painting the outside, painting murals? Um, We did a few murals, but mostly like painting kitchen cabinets. Or, you know, back in the day when we started that whole like Tuscan old world type of decorative painting, the textured walls was so popular in Kansas City. And so we were doing that uh, model homes for the parade homes for that sort of thing. and now. Well, you know, we shut down my painting company two or three years ago, but it was so funny because so many of the houses that we put all that texture in 10 years ago were then hiring us to come back and get rid of it. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, Everything's so cyclical. What goes around comes around. And, But yeah, that's the type of painting we did.
0: Awesome. Well, I think it's funny because I see a painter behind you.
1: Um yes and I didn't know if we were recording the visual. It is funny because we're um, not
0: we're not but I can see it and so it is. Yes. Really-
1: and so um we did close down the painting company about 2 years ago and so now it's so funny for me to have, you know, painters in my home and things because that's what we used to do and you know. So yeah, it's 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 really full circle.
0: <laughs> well, okay, so you really switched gears. You were yeah. in a, a like a physical job, mm-hmm. you had to go and be a part of it and you had people to help absolutely. But how do you take a physical painting business and turn it into an online business?
1: So it started out slowly. And it started out just thinking, okay, how can I make money online? Because I knew that in my painting company, I was limited only to the houses I could drive to here in Kansas City. And we had 3 children. And you know we're busy. And a husband that worked. And I didn't want to work when the kids were home. And, and so I was like, okay... I can only serve the people that I can drive to here locally. I don't want to travel a lot. Like, how can we do this? And I thought, well, what if we started to teach people online how to paint their own house? So, how to do their own kitchen cabinets? How to make their own furniture look like Joanna Gaines just painted it? And so, so I ended up doing like some DIY videos, which now just seems like, oh, just you know, so cringy in the words of my teenage boys. But it worked really well, and we. Offered these for sale five years ago online when nobody was doing this, and so they were videos that weren't very professional Denise. I had people just video me you know on a twenty minute video on how to turn your garage door so it looked like it's wood and um put these up for sale and we went to six figures in fourteen months with just you know forty seven dollar videos and and then I was like, hmm. We might to be onto something here in the online space. And as I was selling videos, my Facebook page was going from 5,000 to 20,000 to 50,000. And we're now at 350,000 followers on Facebook. And so what I realized that I was even better at than the painting was the building a community online and was really being able to get people to kind of join my community by way of following my page. And that's where I figured out. Uh, really what I was called to do, which is to encourage women, number one, and to number two, teach other women how to build their business using the online space.
0: Ooh, You turn painting into education, which ends up being an evergreen type of funnel for you. Because Mm -hmm. for those that don't know what that means, it means you create one thing and you just market it and it can kind of start selling itself and you make sales in your sleep and it creates a residual income for you. Yes. While that while your community was growing, people were probably asking you questions. How did you do yeah, that? They
1: were They were like, okay, you have 50,000 people following you on Pinterest. You know, this is years ago, like, what are you doing? And so I was like, well, I had, you know, 10 people ask me about Pinterest. Why don't I do a quick Pinterest webinar? You know, and I literally was throwing things against the wall and seeing what would stick. And every time something worked, I'd be like, holy crap, like, I am not that smart. What just happened here? And so we were so then I was doing webinars on how to do a full time business off of cabinet painting, how to make Furniture painting, a full-time career, and you know, I I was shocked. I remember the day Denise. We so I was doing that furniture painting webinar, and I was believing God for two hundred people to sign up at forty-seven dollars a person. And I thought if two hundred people buy this for forty-seven bucks a person, like I'm going to be ecstatic. Well, we hit two hundred people, and it's the day before the webinar, and then we hit three hundred people, and I was like, oh my gosh, three hundred people! You know, forty-seven dollars, and I'm doing the math, and I'm like, this is amazing, you know, because it's you do the work once, and you Get paid multiple times for it, and um, and then we hit four hundred people signed up for the webinar, which was double what I had prayed for. And then I was like in the fetal position, sucking my thumb. Holy crap! What have I done? And this doesn't like this just feels really big. And so we had I think four hundred fifty people on that that webinar for furniture painting at forty seven dollars a month. And that's when I was the day that I was like, I really have a future doing things online. Like this can really be something. And so that eventually went from doing you know webinars and DIY videos to opening up an online coaching group 3.5 years ago. It's called My Inner Circle. And it's just for other female entrepreneurs who are trying to use social media to grow their business. And we now have well over 2,000 women paying $47 per month in that monthly membership group. And then I have a course that I launch once a year. And it's called Creator's Roadmap. And it's basically now that you've got this online following, how do you monetize it? Because I know lots of people who have lots of followers and are making $0 popularity contests don't pay the bills is the mm-hmm. truth and so you know i teach women not only how to build an audience but how do you monetize that audience what are all the different ways that you can actually get paid for the audience that you currently have so yeah it's a I here it. we are didn't had never dreamed this is would be what i'm doing but i love it so much
0: I love it. And you can just continue to say yes to that next adventure and the how starts to show up for you. Yes. And you know, one of the things you've mentioned is that you don't have to necessarily know exactly what you're doing right away. You don't have to be the best in the business, but uh-huh. you do need to be the best at marketing your business. So how uh-huh. do you cultivate that?
1: Yeah, well, even when we had the decorative painting company here in Kansas City, you know, I had all these other women who were out painting for me. And this is when like, so finishing and decorative painting were hot. And in the Kansas City area, we had lots of people who were way more talented than I was with a paintbrush. And they, you know, knew way more intricate techniques and could do things that fine artists could and that I couldn't. But what I figured out was that they did not have the ability to market their business and that I liked the marketing piece. And here's what I have found out, Denise. So many women are intimidated by the word marketing. And they're like, I know, I know I need to market my business, but I don't even really know what that means. And so I have tried to break down marketing as simple as possible. And here's what I feel like marketing it is. I feel like marketing whatever you sell, whether it's a product, service, whatever is number one, believing that what you have to offer is good. And number two, being willing to tell people it's good. And that's it. And people want to complicate it and think of branding colors and website design. All that's you know fine and dandy. But if nobody knows you even have a business, who even stinking cares? And so the marketing part of it is what I'm really good at. It's building an audience and then telling people, look, I've got something that can help you in your business this is something I believe in. I know how to build an audience. I've got half a million of them following me. I can show you how to do the same. Like, I think you have to really believe, first of all, that what you've got to offer is good and, and not feel like a slimy salesman by telling other people that it's good. And that's how, that's what marketing is. And that's how sales happen. And so, yeah, you don't have to be the best, but you have to be the best at talking about it.
0: Well, it's so true. You could be an expert in your field. But if you
1: don't know how to share it with people, or you're not actually getting yourself out there, nobody knows how good you are. Exactly. Exactly. And we as women, you know, in particular, I think so often, it becomes a really vulnerable feeling for us when we have to you know start talking about what we do i think also sometimes we think okay got to put on my salesperson hat when i get on facebook and talk about the hair bows i make or the jewelry that i'm making or the cupcakes that i'm decorating or the furniture that i'm painting you know and i got to make it sound professional and that's not how social media works and that's not even how the people that invented you know like facebook mark zuckerberg he wants it to be a social experience for people and so many businesses are running their facebook page like they're just vomiting, you know, sales posts and it's gross and people don't relate to that. But what people do relate to is you as a human being, you as a person who has, you know, a family, you have faith, you have parts of your life that have nothing to do about business that you talk about. And then, oh, by the way, when it comes time to make a sale, it's so much easier because people already feel like they know who you are. And it's that whole no like and trust factor. That's what when it comes to the psychology of sales, it boils down to people, if everything's equal, the price is equal on two different, let's just say, crocheted handbags. You know, I'm just pulling something out of the air here. Let's say there's two different companies on Facebook marketing the exact same crocheted handbag. They both look identical. They have the same price. They have the same warranty, all the things. People will buy from the person that they know, like, and trust before a complete stranger. But the way that you build that know, like, and trust factor on social media is by actually not just making your social media accounts all about you 100% business all of the time. People end up hiding those accounts and unfollowing. And so that's, that's definitely not how I teach business.
0: Mm, it really is about allowing people to get to know you so they really? can feel like, oh yeah, we'd be friends. Exactly, exactly. Now you are a mom. I'm a mom. I- We're growing our businesses and, you know, having our our home life busy Mm -hmm. with sports and school and all the things. So why is mixing home and life not
1: necessarily a bad thing? Mixing home and business, is that home and work. Yes, that's what I mean. Home and work life. The thing about when you're an entrepreneur, your family kind of signs up for being entrepreneurs whether they really want to or not, especially if you're working out of your home like I do. You know, there's times when mom will take an entire day off so I can go on a field trip with one of the kiddos, and that might mean that I'm answering emails at night. Oh, by the way, sit here and do your algebra homework right next to me. You do your work, I'll do my work. You know, and it's so it's mixing. And so I think years ago, it was easier to compartmentalize and be like, here's my family over here, here's my business over here, here's my faith over here, here's my personal stuff over here here and try to keep everything separate. And I think that that's really like, not only is it bad for business, but it just doesn't make sense. I mean, so many parts of our life anymore, I think are intertwined and intermingled. I did a television segment the other day locally here in Kansas City, and I've taken every one of my kids down to the TV station with me when I go, because I want to expose them to parts of mom's work that you know are thrilling for me. And that so they Can experience the things that an entrepreneur perhaps get to experience. That I could choose to like leave family out of it and not take a kiddo with me to television. But I love that they get to experience what that will look like, and maybe it'll open up opportunities for them in their mind of what's possible in their life and in their future in terms of work and business. And so, yeah, for me, it's all very much intertwined and intermingled. I think that that just shows them
0: so many more possibilities. You know, they they get to see that it's. I grew up with my dad was an accountant, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I thought those are the options. You either work at a job you don't like for thirty years and and then retire or you stay at home. I didn't know that there was all all of these options in the world. So I love that your kids get to see a little. Yeah. And it's
1: funny because uh, I love that story about you. Both my parents worked. Um, and then when I was a little bit older, my dad actually became an entrepreneur and, and bought his own company. But I just grew up and was raised as a very responsible person. I call it a SRP, a super responsible person. So I bought my first house when I was 21 and part of that is how i got started i love how just god uses you know every piece of your story i decorated that home when i was 21 with thrift store finds with garage sale finds and i that's how i learned to paint a lot of things is because i wanted a beautiful house but you know you're 21 you're broke most of the time and so you know i had a job starting at the time i was 19 worked two jobs so i could afford that mortgage i was a very responsible person and srp super responsible people they don't quit a good paying nine to five job with a, you know, match into their 401k and three weeks of vacation. They do not quit that in order to start a painting business. At least that's what I was kind of conditioned in my mind to believe. And so God was really fantastic and that he made sure that I got laid off from that desk job I was at because um, otherwise I don't think I ever would have had the courage to quit on my own and that's how my decorative painting company came about so
0: oh my goodness I love that you can look we always can look back and see yes. like how it all fell into
1: place but I'm yes. sure
0: at the time you go Oh, crap! this is not uh, what
1: responsible good girls do. Yeah, they don't leave their good paying jobs. But you know, I had a husband that was super supportive. And um, I have said a million times that I just really want to be known as a yes girl in heaven. I want to have the reputation for being a woman that God can present something to and I'd be like, Okay, I don't understand how it's going to work. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to nod my head. Yes, anyway. Amen. My favorite verse is Isaiah, where he's like, here I am. I'm here. Pick me.
0: Use me. (laughs) Use me. Absolutely. Use me. Oh, that's so great. So, so many of us really do have these sparks. We're we're lit inside. We've got this vision for what we want. We're excited about it. We are connected with our passion, but sometimes we feel guilty about working or making money or feeling like we shouldn't make money if it's our
1: passion. How do we work into this? And are you talking about feeling guilty about making money? Yeah, yeah yeah. well, I think that so often um, women in particular would feel like good girls you know, should not talk about money, we should be making money, and it makes them feel icky. And I think we all have our own like money blocks of some sort and stories we tell ourselves that involve money. And so here is one of the things that I have said. I think that the most financially free people on earth should be entrepreneurs and the most generous people, on earth should be entrepreneurs and the people who love Jesus and the you know there's plenty of money in the world and so it has to go to somebody and, and, and needs to go somewhere and I, I think that there's like this weird guilt that we feel like with making money and so here's what happens a lot of times, these women will be saying oh my gosh I need to make more money in my business but then they'll be self-sabotaging at the same time because making a little bit makes them feel bad, it makes them feel vulnerable, they worry about what their family's going to think of them, what is the girls from high school that follow them on Facebook going to think of them and so they end up doing weird crazy things like giving all the money they're making away or you know, not returning phone calls to clients or I had a girlfriend once that um, her Facebook page was doing spectacular. She was running Facebook ads. It was you know growing really quickly, and she was doing amazing. And she hit twenty thousand followers on Facebook, and she turned her ads off. And I said, "Honey, why'd you do that?" She was, "I don't know." All of a sudden, I just felt really vulnerable. And I'm like, "I know, but those ads are like making you followers, which are making you money. And you know, what is that? What is that? Why is there that weird thing about making money? And I think for every person, it's different and." I've had to do some like counseling literally to kind of get to the bottom to the root of some of those things so that I had the courage and the peace about taking our family to a place financially that we had never been before. So there was some hard head and hard work that were involved in that. And so then, yeah, here we are today. My husband was able to quit corporate America a little over a year ago. And we're working with me in the business full time. And yeah, we're living a, a life right now that I only dreamed was possible years ago. And I just want to really maintain a heart position of being super grateful for it and never feeling guilty about it.
0: Mm, that's an amazing. I, I feel like that guilt can stop people from setting goals or for dreaming or trying because they're like, "Well, I should, I should be grateful for what I have." And there's this element of wanting more or not even wanting more, wanting better, being excited about something. Yes. means you don't like where you are, and that doesn't have to be true at all. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, you really can love where you are and know where you're going. And, and exactly, and and it's okay. I think sometimes to want more. I can remember one time, um, Denise, because I loved houses so much and I loved decorating so much. And you know, I'd bought my first house at 21, and then my husband and I got married when we were in our middle 20s, and then we started having kids at age 30, and he lost his job. One time, right before the holidays, in a time when things were tight, we had just bought a new home, and you know, had two car payments, and uh, my business was, you know, doing okay, but we really depended on his income, and things were tight for a hot minute. It was right about the time the real estate market crashed in 2008. He had just gotten his real estate license. We lived on credit cards for some of our bills for many, many months. And I can remember just being like, just distraught over it and feeling like I never wanted to be in a position again where our livelihood was dependent on somebody else writing out a check to us every two weeks. And I've always felt like I had the ability to somehow do something that the market would pay for. You know, I just always had that feeling. I'm like, okay, yes, they love my decorative painting business, but I just always knew there was something more. And so, you know, Jason and I, my husband and I have really taken measures to make sure that we're never vulnerable again in terms of depending on somebody else for a paycheck and those sorts of things. Have you ever been laid off? That just stinks. You know What's funny, I had one job in my after I I
0: got out of really right outside Chicago. I got my first job in community mental health and I was there
1: for five years and was able to quit. And I've been entrepreneur ever since. It's not for everyone. But gosh, there's an amazing sense of freedom that comes with just knowing that. You are in control of your future, and you know that other things affect that. Well, certainly, but I feel so much more safe to bet on myself and my husband and God taking us wherever in the business than betting on somebody else making out that check. I feel like I just went on a complete rabbit trail, by the way, on that question, and I'm so sorry. (laughs) I don't even. This is what we call menopause brain. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't even remember now. Like, what did she originally ask, and how did I get started down this rabbit trail? I don't even remember. So.
0: Well, we like to say what that um, entrepreneurship is a personal development program with
1: a compensation oh, isn't that bad, the truth? <laughs> Yeah, And there's just always something new that you need to work through or learn or up level or all of the things. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it.
0: And so with, with making money and feeling guilty, you cannot out earn your mindset. So yes. you you, you kind of have to level up and work through your stuff and really change or reshape or restructure your view of of money and sometimes that means you charge for your services. So tell us yeah. a little bit about
1: how to charge what you're actually worth instead of feeling Using that as a way to self-sabotage. Yes. So you know what, Denise? I know that um, my team had set your team some, you know, notes for this podcast a while back, and I actually I have a podcast also. It's called the Jennifer Allwood Show. It's not a very, you know, unique name, but I actually did a podcast episode just last week saying that I have completely changed my stance on the whole charge what you're worth thinking, because I've said it for years, and I've said to the, you know. We have over three thousand women right now every month that i 'm coaching, and i 've been telling them for years, charge what you 're worth, charge what you 're worth and god 's been really like working something out with me because what I had this realization of a while back is it 's not to charge what you 're worth because the janitor mopping the floors for 12 dollars an hour, he is worth just as much in the eyes of the Lord as what I am you know doing what i 'm doing every year, and, and so what I actually am now starting to say is charge what your're worth is worth. And I think too, that the charge what you 're worth theology sometimes what 's happening is it's it's telling women to up your rates, up your rates that 's what they 're feeling like they need to do they 're like, "Well, I need to believe in myself, I need to up my rates well, in the beginning, you kind of have like what do they call it when you go away to college initiation, you kind of have like this initiation period almost not that I agree with that by the way, but when you first start a business where you kind of have to like pay your dues almost just like anybody else's you have to figure out like in the beginning. What is my sweet spot for pricing? What will the people in my community pay? Do I want to target to like the Walmart mindset? Or would I rather go more with like a target you know, type of people? Or do I want to market only to the Nordstrom people? Um, you know what I mean? And so I think that in the beginning, you're in like this initiation period of business where you have to figure out what you're able to charge. And so if I'm telling women who are just starting, charge what you're worth, charge what you're worth, and they're jacking up their rates, but they're brand new to business. They can so often be losing out on customers initially because they've, they've priced too high for somebody that has no experience. They don't really have a track record that they're able to prove, you know? And so sometimes in the beginning, you kind of have to eat crow a little bit and do things at a price that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise because you know you're in this like learning space and you're really, you know, honing your career Craft, or you're really figuring out your product, or you're really kind of developing your marketing skills. And so, you know, what I'd rather say is charge what your work is worth. But sometimes in the beginning, I think you need to really figure out. How to position that, and what that looks like, and I don't want to keep telling women to jack up their rates and charge what you're worth because the truth is that's making some women lose sales. And so then what ends up happening, especially if they're new to business, is they see all these other people able to charge a thousand dollars for a piece of furniture. I've told them to charge what you're worth. They're jacking up their prices. Their stuff isn't selling, and then they're having this huge discouragement, and then they're they're quitting. And so, you know, that's not what I want to happen either. So, charge what your work is worth and and that's based on many different things. Um so, yeah, I really changed my stance on that. I literally on my podcast last week like did a public apology. <laughs> I did a public <laughs> service announcement and I'm like, "Sorry, guys. You know, sometimes I think we subscribe to a certain theology for a hot minute and then I always want to be like you know, flexible and learning and allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of work some things out in me to help me change my thinking more so that it lines up with the word of God. So
0: absolutely charge what your work is worth. Well, what is the yes. benefit of your product or service? Mm-hmm. And how is it going to really impact people? Yes. And what- what's that worth? Exactly.
1: It really isn't about our identity at all. We know where our identity comes exactly, from. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, so many women will, their identity is tied often to what they make or what they offer or whatever. I mean, especially my audience is a lot of creative. So we're a lot of makers, they're artists, they're bloggers, they're writers, they're songwriters, they make jewelry, they make cupcakes, they, they use their hands for a lot of things. And so, so often our heart and soul is tied to that. You know, they were just really passionate about making that adorable outfits that they hand sewed for a baby. And then when they hear crickets on their sales page, I mean, so often that they internalize that and the lack of sales, they equate that to, okay, my product or service must not be good. And then, okay, that must mean that I'm not good. And we have to be so careful to walk that line. And as coaches and leaders to really help women navigate that line. Absolutely. No, I think you're exactly right. Because we'll have people hit a promotion in our
0: in our industry, or maybe, you know, have a really awesome month, but then yeah. not a couple months later, and then they it can really mess with your self. though?
1: Yeah. So, so, you know, you were asking kind of like how I got to where I am today with coaching all these women and stuff. I can remember it was in July. I don't know why I remember that it's my birthday month, maybe almost four years ago. And I can remember my sales in the online space kind of tanked for about three months in a row. And I was like, what is happening here? These DIY videos that were doing so good, all of a sudden, you know, weren't doing as good as they were. I'd had a couple of really hot webinars, you know, one of them brought in $28,000 for two hours of my time. And then, you know, we didn't have any webinars for three months. So everything was back down, you know, in the gutter. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And I started internalizing it also and feeling like, okay, I thought I was going to be good in the online space. Clearly I was not. And I've never had a time in my life when I have felt like depressed or blue. Thankfully, that's nothing that I struggle with. But for those three months, I was like at a donkey on the edge. That's a famous saying from Shrek. If you have little kids and you ever remember that Shrek movie, that's a donkey on the edge. I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? This, this was working and now it's not. And it was really actually a great thing because it made me dig in my heels because I was like, okay, I am just as smart as all these other people who are making in the online space. What I was doing six months ago is no longer working now. Am I gonna just throw in the towel? Because literally I was saying to myself, at this point, I could be making more money going to manage a quick trip than what I could in the online space right now. What's happening here? And I wrestled with it and wrestled with it. And finally, I was like, you know what I need? I need like a monthly group. And the reason I need a monthly group is because people will pay me every single month. And then my business won't be doing these up, down, up, down, up, down. And that's how I started that inner circle, that monthly membership group that now you know we have over 2,000 people at $47 a month. So that's a seven figure a year just one of my groups makes over seven figures a year. And it came out of that real place of struggle and that place of pain and that place of what the heck am I doing wrong? And so I do think that that if you can mix that sense of desperation with, you know, just an ounce of courage to try things you never have, and then an ounce of obedience, when God asks you to do something outside of your comfort zone, man, I think that's just such a recipe for success.
0: Ooh, that's where the magic happens. It's kind Isn't of it? like when yeah. you are at that so you know quote unquote rock bottom and you have to really rethink things and yes. go back to the drawing board and think about things in a new way. And it sounds like you've been up to that challenge over and over again and adding multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. So yes, in your notes here, it says six
1: ways to add multiple yeah. revenue streams. So I'd love to hear about that. That is the once a year program that I offer women where they can well and it's not just for women, but I just I have I, I like to joke out of my half a million social media followers, two of them are guys. So it, it's not true. There's more than two. But we have monetized my business in a way so that currently I have six revenue streams. And uh, the reason we've done this, it, it wasn't even really that strategic, Denise. It just kind of came about and I realized this is genius. And here's why. So of my half a million social media followers, uh, 350,000 of those are on Facebook. But about two, three years ago, I wake up one morning, log into my Facebook page and have a message from Facebook that my Facebook page was gone. I had violated a term of service. What term of service? We still don't know. And therefore, you know, we were outside of Facebook's rules. And I was like, what? And, um, you know, to actually get a hold of a real live person three years ago at Facebook was nearly impossible. And literally I was in the fetal position for about three days until magically one day my Facebook page just comes back up. My best friend, Laura texted me. I was at a job site checking on the girls painting and she's like, Hey, your Facebook page is back. And I'm like, what? Like what happened? It was just gone. And when you've built your business on one social media platform that I've got, all my eggs in one basket. And that's not very different than what it was when I was working at a nine to five and somebody was in control of my future with a paycheck every two weeks. And so what happened to me then is I was like, okay, here's what I need to learn from this. Number one, I can never have all of my eggs in any one basket. That means social media. So that means I can't only just be focusing on Facebook. I've got to also concentrate on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, whatever. Also, I have to focus on an email list because the only way I had to make money those 3 days while my Facebook page was down was with my email list. So it taught me those 2 huge lessons. And it taught me that I need to make sure I have plenty of other revenue streams that You know, some of them are coming in without me even having to do anything that way, if I ever lose my page again, or who knows what could happen? What if Mark Zuckerberg wakes up one day and he thinks, you know, this was dumb, let's just get rid of the whole thing. Like, it's very vulnerable as a business owner. So we currently have six revenue streams in my business, which I talk about in the course. One is like ad revenue on my website. And that's money that comes into the bank every month because we have ads on... I have a website called themagicbrushinc.com. That's my old painting website. We still blog there about decorating, home decor, painting, all the things. And so that money shows up in my account every month like magic. It's fantastic. I have sponsored content. I do. So that means people will pay me to go... Hobby Lobby will pay me to go into their store and just talk about my 10 favorite things in their store. Or somebody will send me something in the mail and ask me to talk about it in a blog post and I get paid for that. So sponsored content is a great way to make revenue. One-on-one coaching or like a a mastermind. That is a great way to make income. We have a monthly membership group. So there's lots of different like, places that my money is now coming from. That way, if anything ever goes sideways in one of them, I still have the other ones that I can put into place.
0: Ooh, That's so smart. It's really having multiple streams of income within your own business.
1: It is. And, and, you know, because what's happening with a lot of entrepreneurs um, that are in a similar space to you and I is the business is cranking along. It's doing great, but it's very dependent on you and I being here. And, you know, as a mother, we had three kids. We just took in a four year old little girl in the last seven months. She is new to our family. So now we have one getting letters from colleges and another one who is having preschool graduation in the next couple weeks. So we're back to that. But it's made me just. Um, realize, you know, I'm not... 30 anymore. And what would happen if something would happen to mom? Right now, my husband works with me, you know, full time. Our family is very dependent on this business, which is heavily dependent on me. So some of these revenue streams are able to continue going even if something were to happen. And you, you pray things don't, but you just never know, Denise. I mean, what would happen if I would need to take 12 weeks off for a surgery or something? So we're trying to put things in place in my business with these revenue streams so that my family is going to be okay. It's that whole like scripture and proverbs about, you know, leaving an inheritance to your children and your children's children and so we're working on that as we speak how has it been working with your husband oh it's been interesting girl It has been interesting. I mean, Jason and I did a podcast episode on this, and it was the most listened to episode we've ever done. So I think that this is a topic that people like to hear about. It has been difficult. It has probably brought out in both of us things that we didn't even know were there. And we're both pretty opinionated. We're both at three on the Enneagram, if you you do the Enneagram at all, which can either be a total power couple or a total train wreck, you know, depending because you both want to be the boss of everything. So you know, it's. Because I grew this business by myself for so long, then having him come in and point out places of weakness, you know, because he sees things from a different eye set. Just because um, number one, he's a man, so he looks at things differently, which is by the way, very needed and very necessary. And number two, as my husband, you know, we've we've had to try to figure out, okay, how can we like separate when when he's telling me things that is wrong with how I've done things in my business the last 15, 17, 19, whatever years. How can I not take that and be upset with him as my husband? Does that make sense? Absolutely. we're, We're still like working through that and getting better as we go. But it's been interesting because I really did him a disservice when he came home from corporate America. And the words that I used were I retired my husband from corporate America. And in retrospect, that wasn't a way of honoring him. It made me sound like a rock star, but it was dishonoring to him, not in a way that was intentional. But we'd be out in public, Denise, and people would be like, so you're just retired, huh? They'd say to him and be like, no, I you know, work with my wife. And, and it wasn't that I retired him. We because he helped me build this business, even in the background for all these years. And I really had to figure out a different way to word that. So he retired from corporate America is much more honorable than I retired my husband, in my opinion, and it feels better to him. So we're just figuring it out real time, you know, right in front of my whole audience, we're figuring it out. And I'm a complete 100% introvert, which is really difficult for most people to believe. But when we're done with this podcast right now, I won't talk for two hours, and I will love every second of it. And he's a complete extrovert. So that means during the day, I want complete silence. And he, you know, wants a party. And I'm like, you know, I was used to all these years having the house to myself when the kids are all gone at school during the day, and he's at business during the day. And now he's home blaring the TV and he's blaring the radio and he wants to talk and I just want complete silence. And so, you know, we're figuring it out and and we're going to be better people because of it, but we're still figuring it out.
0: It is an adventure, isn't it?
1: (laughs) It is. And one, I wouldn't trade for the world. I mean, it is so awesome. Like this week, I've got a really full week. We've got a conference live. I'm hosting my first live conference here in Kansas City um, the first week of May. And so all hands are on deck. We have a team of eight. All of us are really focused on the conference, but our new four-year-old has a field trip. And, you know, I really prided myself in going to every one of my kids' field strips, the other three when they were little. And this week, I'm like, mom's got meetings, TV engagements, all the things all week. And he's so excited to be able to now go and do some of that stuff that he missed out on while I was raising kids and the business at the same time. And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it is definitely, we're still learning as we go. So...
0: Yeah, absolutely. My husband and I have worked together for 12 years and we kind of have had our own. He did his thing that he was really good at and I did my thing that I was really good at. And it worked because we didn't step on each other's toes. But we're now finding that as we create products together, we have to really figure out how to do it together and not as so separately because that's just how it works. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you each bring your own value to the table. It's just it's there's lots of layers. It's like an onion. It's or a box of chocolates. (laughs) However, you just never know what you're gonna get from day to day. But yeah, we're figuring it out. So Well, tell me about this conference. It's called Equipped. Is that right? It is. We are hosting a conference um, the first couple of weeks of May. This is not something I wanted to do at all. So right out of high school, I got a scholarship to college because I was a super responsible person and got great grades in high school. And uh, so got a scholarship, went to college, and I took speech class, Denise, my first semester of college so that I would never, ever, ever Ever have to speak again, because in my head, I thought if I wait till I'm a senior, I will literally like have nervous diarrhea for the next four years, I'll just die thinking about speech class coming up in three years. So I took speech as a freshman, so I would be done with it forever. And I've really wrestled with the idea that I continue to be asked to speak and continue to being asked to speak and continue to be asked to speak. And I'm fine on television. I can get 2000 people on a Facebook live and have zero anxiety. I love being on video. I love doing podcasts. But you put me on a stage with real live human beings, eyeballs looking at me, and I don't know what happens internally. But I literally, I think to myself, there is nothing worse at that very moment than where I currently am. And I always say to myself, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. But you know, people keep asking, and I've had to really think differently about public speaking. I had a friend of mine who she's my stylist for my events. She said to me a while back, her name's Chastity Stem, and she's actually going to be speaking at my event. She said, "Jennifer, when God gave you the gift of speaking, it wasn't only on television and on your podcast. He gave you the gift of speaking, period. So you were gifted to actually speak on a stage. You just don't like to." And I'm like, "You're right, I don't." But then in my head, God was also working at with me showing me just because you don't like to do something, doesn't mean you get out of it. I mean, just because i don't feel like i'm ready for it or feel up to it i had that like whole like moses mentality where i'm not ready lord i'm out of good speech what if they don't like me you know and, and so there's so many reasons i think that we say no to things that are offered to us and play small because it's very painful sometimes to have to grow into the next level so last summer i was out on a wog, which is a walk jog for those of us over 45. And I'm out on a wog. And I was listening to Eminem because he needs Jesus too. And I felt like I was just kind of supposed to turn off the rap music and just, you know, think and keep my mind clear. And I was thinking about how I had just went to a conference for business because I love business conferences. They just drip my trigger like self-development courses and classes and conferences, all that stuff just makes me so happy. But I had been to this conference and it was a business conference and I felt like everybody walked away with like, you know, sexy email strategies and a great, you know, new idea on how to do their Facebook ads. And they got some great strategy, but I could also tell that there were so many women in the room who still didn't believe that they were worthy of making money, who even though now they had a sexy Facebook ad strategy, they were terrified to still go live on Facebook because it makes them feel vulnerable. You know, they have this new email strategy, but um, they're still worried about what their sister-in-law is going to. think of their new business. So they don't even send out emails. And so I kept thinking, but none of the strategy matters. If at her core, a woman still doesn't believe who God says she is and doesn't feel worthy of a business and making money at it. And so as I'm out on this, you know, walk jog, I'm thinking, dang it, Lord, I've been to so many of these conferences lately where there was such a missed opportunity for women to hear the gospel in addition to business strategy. And I felt like I heard God say, well, girlfriend, you know, you're it. Why don't you do that? And then I was back. to, Oh, no, no, no. You forget. I hate to speak in public. Why on earth would I have a conference? And so for months, God and I wrestled this out. And um, do you ever watch like, World Wrestling Federation, you know how when they like tap the mat, when they're done, they like tap out. (laughs) Finally, I'm like, fine, Lord, we'll have the conference. It's going to be amazing. So he's had to really work on me to get me to a place where I'm comfortable, not only speaking once, but I mean, literally doing the whole thing. So we're having a two day conference and I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. I've got some amazing speakers coming. But, you know, my whole platform is built around encouraging women to do things that they're scared to do and saying yes to God, even if they don't know how and aren't sure about, you know, their talents. And so I have to continue to walk this out real time in front of my audience. And uh, so that's what we're doing. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll be lovingly stalking your social so I can see oh, how it goes. Yes, thank so, you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I just time. did my first workshop event um, uh-huh. in January and it was similar. Like I knew I had to do it, but I had tears in my eyes, freaking out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, fear doesn't release us from our calling. I have always said that. So, you know, I know that God has called me to speak into the lives and the hearts of women and really encourage them in both life and business. And so if that's what I'm called to do and people are asking me for a live conference just because I'm scared, it doesn't release me from the fact that, well, they're asking and God's giving me an opportunity. I have the team that can put it together. We have the resources to do it. It, it feels like it's my responsibility to do it, even though it's uncomfortable for me because it requires me to grow. Mm -hmm. And you know right now we're kind of in this easy place in business where jason and I are both here We're both working on it. It's a well-oiled machine those revenue streams are coming in, you know I was telling jason the other day before we got the new four-year-old I felt like for a couple months god gave us like this just this taste of like well, it's like that song "Looks Like We Made It." You know that what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was like, we're sitting on the deck, we're drinking coffee. He's going on a bike ride. You know, we're working a couple hours a day. Like this is amazing. And then you know, we got the toddler, and business has just exploded. And we were in an easy place. So to add a conference to that, I'm like, why would we do that? Why would we complicate business right now? We know what we're doing with all the other things and a conference we've never had. And so, you know, right now we've got, I think, 250 women that are coming in. We even have somebody coming from Australia. And um, and it's going to be fantastic. And God has really given to me the encouragement that He wants me to give the women. And I'm super excited about it. I'm excited about my guests. I'm excited that it's going to work something out though in me too. As I'm you know hopefully blessing them in their business. So absolutely. If
0: we're not growing, our soul is dying. So good exactly for you for continuing to step out. So one last question. I know you have big dreams and big vision and you pour out so much. I can feel your energy through the screen. Like you're so excited about what you're doing and how you're able to bless others. What do you do every day that fills your own cup?
1: When I make time, this probably is going to sound like a cheesy answer, but When I really focus hard on putting my efforts to where I feel, that they're supposed to be from a biblical perspective. So that's God, husband, kids, business. That's the four right there for me. So when I do that, when I put it in that order, number one, everything works better in my business, and number two, I just feel better about everything. So that means if I get my quiet time in the morning, if I actually give my husband my undivided attention with my phone down, if I actually like have conversation with him that's aside from the children, you know, and all the interruptions, that feels good. That feels like you know, I'm really giving effort to my marriage. If I spend time every night tucking in each of my kids and actually like asking about their day and we can somehow come up with family dinner, even though there's four kids now and, you know, we're all going in a hundred different things every day, that feels really right. And so that fills my cup. Um, if I can get a walk or a workout in on top of that, oh, amen, sister, then then I'm excited. If I can get me a greens drink, which I know sounds like the cheesiest thing in the world, but for some reason, I am just addicted to like green drinks. Oh, girlfriend, that's... That's all she living wrote. And dream if, life right there. Absolutely. And if I can somehow work a massage in every month, I just feel like I'm living large. Massages <laughs> are my
0: love language. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, do you have anything else you'd want to add to anybody who feels that spark, but maybe is a little bit timid to say yes?
1: Yeah. Is that for like starting a business in particular or? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know what? I always try to remind women like what's number one, what's the worst thing that can happen? What is the worst thing that can happen? And um, this is a little routine that God taught me years ago when my kids were little and I was feeling frumpy and not very cute and frustrated at different times in life. And I remember thinking, what would I do right now if my husband cheated on me? Now, there was no reason for me to ever go down that rabbit trail in my mind, but I I think there's plenty of women in your audience who probably have a vain imagination, such as I do. And I can, you know, my kiddo's leaving for a football game, and I have him dead in a ditch and in 10 minutes in my mind, you know what I mean? And so I have to constantly be bringing myself back to reality. And I was thinking to myself, what if my husband's also thinking that I'm frumpy and miserable and all the things? And what if he, you know, decides he wants to leave me or have an affair or whatever? And in my mind, I literally heard Denise, and what is the worst thing that would happen? I literally heard and I'm like, Well, what do you mean? What is that? The worst thing that would happen would be awful. It would be horrible. We've got kids. We'd get a divorce. And then I heard Laura say, and what would be the worst thing that would happen? And literally kept taking me down this trail of, and I was like, well, then I'd have to like move out of the house and we'd have to start over somewhere. And, and then what would be the worst thing that would happen? And, you know, when you boil that down to the very bottom, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know what? You're going to be okay. And so I say this to women in business, what's the worst thing that would happen if you start that business and it fails? Well, you learned a very valuable lesson, how to not do it the next time. What's the worst thing that could happen if you stepped out into something that you feel called to do that you're very passionate about, and it doesn't work out. I mean, you either learn from the experience, or you get some minimal success, or you have a raging success where you suddenly are, you know, your husband's retiring from corporate America. I mean, you just never know who or what's on the other side of your obedience. And so my heart is just really to encourage women who are on the fence, man, I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? And you only get this life once. This is not um, dress rehearsal. This is real life stuff. And so often I think we think that us doing the thing has so much to do with us, but it's really for the people around us. Your kids need to see you, mom, be brave. You're telling your kids around the dinner table at night, honey, you should be brave and go out for student council or try out for that soccer team. But you, your mom have this passion in your heart that you're hiding and you're scared to death to act on. And so that's called hypocrisy. And so, you know, we have people in our homes that need to see us be brave. We have the women in our families. We have neighbors, people watching us. We need to show up for them as much as we need to show up for ourselves. Mm, I love it. I love it. Uh,
0: what is the worst thing that can happen at the What's end? the worst of thing day that can happen? Will be a-okay and
1: maybe even better. Yeah, absolutely. What's the worst thing that can happen?
0: Oh, I just loved our conversation today, Jennifer. Check out jenniferallwood.com. I'll put all of her social media and websites and podcast links and all that good stuff in the description below. But I so appreciate our time, your wisdom, your experience, your energy, and we'll absolutely have to be in touch.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Denise. You're awesome. I appreciate you letting me be here